Welcome to Give Theory a Chance. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Tristan Bridges, Professor of Sociology at the University of Santa Barbara. Tristan reflects on his experience with Dr. Raywin Connell and her work on gender. Tristan explains how Connell's work has helped to continue the conversation about gender and the concept of hegemonic masculinity. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Okay, so today we are here to talk about Raywin Connell. Could you just give us a short introduction about who she is or what she's known for? Sure. Raywin Connell is an Australian social theorist who is probably best known for her theory of gender relations, but she's she's an inequality theorist more generally. She does a lots of different kinds of empirical work, and she's probably best known for her feminist theory of gender. Okay, so do you get a sense that she is widely read in the larger discipline of sociology? Yes, I think that Connell's work is widely read in within sociology in a couple different ways. One is that she's a large enough scholar in the subfield of gender that she is among the small group of scholars who sort of all sociologists know a little bit about if they know something about all the subfields. And then another way that she's widely read in the larger discipline is that she's been involved in uh, a debate sort of challenging what gets thought of as canonical in sociological theory in the first place. And so she's participated in these debates that, from a gender perspective, that have asked, why is it largely old white men who we think of as the canon of sociological theory. And I think for those two reasons, she's a she's a scholar that if you're a sociologist, it would be tough to avoid her. So I guess you would say that she's also popular in your sub. Yes. And she's sort of so she's popular in, in my subfield in two ways. In terms of sociological scholars who are theorizing about gender, Raywin Connell is absolutely among this sort of group of scholars who have been producing um, theoretical tools, interventions, and guides that the rest of the field has made use of. And then specifically in scholarship that's specifically on masculinity, Raywin Connell is not just kind of a, a central player in that field, but she's actually, she has for a long time been kind of the center of that field. It's not that she had a theoretical framework that scholars engaged with. She she really has produced the theoretical framework that everyone engages with. Cool. So when did you first hear about or become aware of Connell's ideas? I, I read about Raywin Connell's work when I was an undergraduate. I didn't first actually read Raywin Connell's work until I was in grad school, and I didn't become kind of more deeply aware of both her scholarship and the impact that it would have on me and my scholarship. I think until I was studying for my comprehensive exams in graduate school, at the time you could check out a little carol in the library. And so I went to my university library and I asked for a carol near the sociological scholarship on gender shelf in the library. And I got this little desk and a cabinet I could lock next to this gigantic stacks of books on gender. And I realized how much she had published and how many scholars were engaging with her work. And she just became this scholar who I decided I wanted to read everything she'd written. Can you tell us a little bit about what that first encounter was like when you first read her in graduate school? Sure. I think that when having read about her, I knew that this was a scholar whose work I should be familiar with for, for what I wanted to study. 
but I, I don't think I was fully prepared for how complicated I, I think I was going to first experience it when I encountered her work. And it was really the first time I read Raywin Connell's work, I think it was really overwhelming because I felt like it felt like I didn't know enough to be able to read this book. Like, you know, most books I think you expect to collect knowledge from. And this was a book that I got the distinct feeling that you needed to come into this book with a lot more knowledge than I had. (laughs) And so it was really overwhelming because I realized this book was part of a conversation and that in order to access this book, I was going to have to gain access to this much larger conversation that was a little bit over my head initially. Wow. Okay. So what drew you back to that, to her writings after that first encounter, especially after saying like, this is overwhelming. Uh, Like, you know, some people would just say, like, you know, I don't think I want to continue with this. But like, what drew you back? You know, there's something about I I think all theorists, I I think there's something like alluring about her her work. So her work at the time, the work that I'm talking about is she, she initially started theorizing class inequality and class relations. And she was very interested in the role that education played in the reproduction of class inequality. And she started studying that and publishing on that in the 70s. And that was right around the time that a subfield in sociology started to emerge that was like distinctly about gender. Gender as not a part of studying the family or a part of studying some other social institution, but studying gender in its own right. And... um, so she started, so initially when she was uh, setting out to write a book about gender, that subfield didn't really exist. And I think when I realized that when I was encountering her work, I just thought of how challenging it would have been to write about something when the field that you're writing about isn't really there yet. And I found that like really, really provocative. So the initial writing that she's doing is really arguing against a collection of scholars and theorists who were trying to position, uh, who are trying to study gender from a different perspective. And before we could really have a sociological theory of gender in its own right, we first needed to recognize why these earlier sort of half attempts were missteps and were problematic. And I just found it a really exciting, interesting, deeply engaging read. And I, I decided, even though I didn't understand it, that I, that it was that I wanted to. <laughs> so is this idea something that you feel like had a significant influence on you? Or is there another idea that you felt like stood out? Yeah, I'll give you. So one of the one of the concepts that comes out of Raywin Connell's work is this concept that she coined called hegemonic masculinity. And it may be, I mean, it's it's among those concepts in the sociology of gender that's sort of like a central organizing concept in the field. And it emerged inside her theory. And I remember when I was in grad school um, for a ethnography class, I started conducting an ethnography at um, some bodybuilding gyms on the East Coast near my grad school. Mm-hmm. And um and I was interviewing uh, men who bodybuild and who are amateur and pre-professional bodybuilders. And um, and I started getting into the masculinities literature within sociology. And I, I had a professor who knew a little bit about Raywin Connell's work, but but it wasn't a central part of her own work. And she said, oh, you, sh- you should uh, you should frame your work with Raywin Connell. Like, I'm sure bodybuilders are an example of hegemonic masculinity. And I remember realizing 
that they weren't exactly that that hegemonic masculinity was like a much more complicated idea than I had kind of been led to believe initially. And that had a really profound influence on me. It made me think about the way that I wanted to study gender inequality and the mechanisms that, that work together to kind of uh, to produce inequality in ways that are often underappreciated. And I thought, we actually have a great way inside of uh, Raymond Connell's theory for talking about these issues. But I felt like lots of scholars were not properly appreciating that. Wow, yeah. So... You know, in talking about like this, these ideas of hegemonic masculinity, how have you taken Connell's ideas and specifically used them in your own work? Yeah, gosh, I mean, Raymond Connell is one of those people whose whose scholarship I have probably cited in e- anything I've ever published or written, <laughs> and so she influences everything I've ever written. I think that um, one of the ways that she had a profound influence on my work is in um, some work that I did with another sociologist, C.J. Pascoe, in theorizing what we call hybrid masculinities. And initially, when we, when we put together this idea, we were looking at a broad range of scholarship by people studying lots of different groups of privileged men. So men who were young, straight, cisgender, white, class privileged, education privileged, who were engaging in practices that that involved like borrowing elements of performance and identity from groups to which they didn't actually belong. And we thought it was really interesting. And and we started to realize that actually, even though that that can look like it's more more inclusive and that men are actually breaking down hierarchies and, and boundaries between different groups of men, we started realizing that it didn't actually have that effect. And we thought that hegemonic masculinity was actually a really useful theoretical tool for getting at that, but not in the way that hegemonic masculinity is sometimes used by scholars. So when we theorized hybrid masculinities, I think we saw it as providing a tool to better appreciate aspects of Raywin Connell's theory. I think sometimes people think of theories as... um, in competition with one another, vying for more attention and trying to figure out if, if I'm right, then you are wrong. And that's never how I've thought about it. And, I, and I'm not sure Raywin Connell would think about it that way either. I think when we put together this idea, we sort of intentionally theorized it as attached to and building on Raywin Connell's work. She's influenced, I think, everything I've ever done. Yeah. So when talking about her and like this, that she's influenced, like, you know, all of your work, how have you built on or even called into question um, Connell's ideas? Like, have you found that maybe like, you know, everything that you've ever studied absolutely confirms everything she's ever claimed? Or maybe you found something that maybe didn't exactly align with what she said? My work really has confirmed Raywin Connell's theory. What I think is really interesting about her work, you know, is she theorizes gender in a way that her, her theory was theorized in an open way. She has built on it over time. And in fact, when she originally theorized it, she kind of anticipated that she would. It's a really interesting way of theorizing because I think for, for a long time we... Uh, we created theories that we thought, you know, would work unchanged for all people for all time. And Raywin Connell is interested in studying systems of inequality, and, and she understands that systems of inequality will change and transform. And to have a theory that's actually 
flexible enough to enable scholars to continue to use it 30, 40 years after it's been theorized, I think requires a really different kind of theorizing. And I think that she, her, her theory appears to have always been open to that in a way. So just to give you an example, you know, originally in Raywin Connell's theory of gender relations, she said that um, gender inequality is so difficult to challenge because it's actually composed of a, a collection of different substructures, what she sometimes calls them. She says gender is powerfully embedded with power relations, sets up hierarchies between groups of people, but it also is a part of our production relations, so the division of labor and societies, for instance, and it also is a part of our, our intimate life and our emotional relations, so we recognize some, ex some emotional expressions as feminine and masculine, and initially she said there were these three structures, power relations, production relations, and relations of cathexis or emotional relations that comprised gender relations. And later in the early 2000s, she published a new book and she summarized these three substructures and she added a fourth. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting because I think that it illustrates that she may even have written something in the original text, Gender and Power, where she said these are three important substructures of gender, but they may not be the only three, but they're an important collection of them. So the work that I've done, I think, has sort of has helped to build on this work and, and illustrate its enduring applicability to studying new gender formations and some of the new ways that gender inequality may be being challenged in new ways, but it's also adapting. So considering your research, are there other theorists that you see Connell's ideas working particularly well with? I mean, I think I think that Connell's theory works really well with feminist theories that are seeking to explain gender inequality as a durable form of social inequality. There's this yeah. really interesting puzzle that C.J. Pascoe and I have been fascinated with for five years or so, which is the idea that performances of gender and gender itself is susceptible to this like incredible transformations and extraordinary diversity. But gender inequality is when we compare it to that. Is actually much more durable. Lots of feminist scholars have long been interested in this, right? As we challenge certain supports of gender inequality, what other supports emerge as those initial pillars start to crumble? Other uh, social theorists that I think pair well with Connell are sort of are sort of part of the same genre inside of sociology. Is this collection of social theorists who trade on economic metaphors? So Raywin Connell's discussion of gender relations has these like economic metaphors built inside of it. Another concept that Connell coined is what she refers to as the patriarchal dividend. And the patriarchal dividend, according to Connell, is sort of the, the collection of privileges that men receive as a group for being men. So I know when I introduce it to undergraduate students, I ask them for examples and um, they'll often say, oh, the, the wage gap, they get extra money for just because they happen to be men. And Raymond Connell was interested in that and that is economic. But she was also interested in things like that, that men received sometimes uh, more authority or respect. Men might be more safe because they are men in certain environments, and that all of these collection of privileges, she said, form this sort of dividend that men get to receive just because they happen to be men. And lots of social theorists in sociology 
borrow metaphors from economics to explain social life. Pierre mm -hmm. Bourdieu talks about different forms of capital, some economic, but other forms of capital, like cultural capital, they do have economic consequences, but they're not economic in nature necessarily. And right. I think Raywin Connell was sort of playing with this similar set of ideas that, and I, I find that really interesting and exciting when I'm reading social theorists now. I think some of the best social theorists often read well outside of their own disciplines, and it allows them to borrow ideas and conversations that are foreign in their own disciplines, and they have to translate them for their discipline, even if they're borrowing ideas from elsewhere. How has your relationship to Connell's work changed since, you know, that first encounter? Because you described it as being, like, overwhelming and then, you know, deciding to overcome that. And being more developed in the field, do you feel as though your relationship to her work, you know, just has changed? I guess it really has changed. I've, I've definitely, I have read and reread and taught and retaught Connell's work. And it's, uh, she's one of those scholars who I, I really feel like I learn something new every time I, I reread, which, which I feel like undergraduate students are like, oh my gosh, <laughs> never able to learn it. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think that uh, both in, in terms of my understanding and the depth of, the, of my understanding has really changed a lot over time. You know, we talked earlier about um, how part of the initial um, frustration and challenge in reading Connell's work was recognizing that it was part of this larger conversation and that I really needed to read the scholarship on, and theory of the people she was critiquing before I could understand her critique. Um, and I think over time, as I've become more familiar with that body of work, it's allowed me to appreciate Raywin's work in sort of a new light. Um, and this is just sort of, you know, one thing that I sometimes tell undergraduate and graduate students as kind of a pro tip for encountering theory is that it's important to remember that all scholarship is part of a conversation. We often read it, I think students often read it, detached that conversation as these like singular entities, but it's intending to be talking to groups of people. And it's not just, often it's not starting a conversation, it's entering one that already exists. And before you can really understand a social theorist, often you need to figure out what is the conversation that exists that they're entering. And I think it can help you sort of appreciate why their work has been received in the way that it has, or can help you understand it in a new light if you if you look into what the conversation is in the first place. In talking about like you know undergrad students and reflecting on your project and your experience in the classroom, what are the main advantages or selling points of working with Connell's ideas? There are so many advantages. I think that I think reading a challenging piece of work, you know, there's this move in uh, academia right now to make everything more accessible, and I think that's extremely important. And we should always be striving to make our work more broadly accessible whenever we can. And I think we also have to recognize that there are certain things that are a little bit less accessible almost by necessity. You know, sometimes social theorists are, are theorizing something that we lack language for and writing about a form of inequality that we can't actually explicitly label is really tough. And so they come up with concepts and ideas and terms to help us provide us with a new language 
to make sense of something that we might not have known we needed to make sense of in the first place. I think it's worth engaging with Connell's work because she's among a group of feminist theorists of gender who can help you better appreciate that there's actually nothing detached from gender inequality. It is part of any aspect of social life you can imagine. That was great. That was a perfect place to end. That was a nice quote. Thank you so much for for joining us and like sharing sharing your stories with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Jeff Gilbert for the cool theme song, Kyle Green for allowing me to be a part of this, and lastly, to all of you, the amazing listeners, for giving Theory a chance. 